But today we are starting a brand new series called Throwing Shade, and this is a series that um, I believe is a series that we need to talk about within the church because nobody's talking about this. Um, and this is a topic that, if I'm honest, everyone in the room, including myself, first and foremost, deals with this. What we're going to be wrestling with for the next few weeks is all the different ways that we say things, text things, post things, whatever it might be, that what we're trying to do is cause some kind of harm towards a person or towards people. I mean, throwing shade, this kind of verbal punches that happen kind of day in and day out happen all around us. We watch politicians do it, throw haymakers like they're middle schoolers in the, in the at recess. You know, we watch our kids go to school and they've got to walk between classes and dodge jabs here and there and everywhere. Walking into work can feel like getting into a boxing ring. Am I right? And if we're honest, every relationship that we have and that we exist within, there's all kinds of things that we experience. These verbal jabs, these punches, these haymakers that come at us at all times. And if I'm honest, you know, years ago, we used to be able to get away from this, right? We could, we could put it down. We could leave. We could go home to the safety of our, of our four walls. But now we carry the fight with us on our phones and on our tablets and on our computers. It's, it's everywhere that we go. And we have people, family, friends, enemies who are throwing one-two punches. And we ourselves are throwing some as well. This whole concept, throwing shade, we, we want to kind of define this for the next few weeks as all the ways that we subtly or openly cast a shadow over people by the things that we say to them or about them, you know, both subtly and openly, these ways that we speak about people and do all kinds of harm. And, you know, it might come to a shock to you that as a specimen that I am, I did not have all kinds of altercations physically growing up as a kid. It's probably because when I was a kid, I was under five foot until like sixth, seventh grade, and I weighed like 75 pounds with all of my football pads on in sixth grade. And so for me, it was self-preservation. I didn't get in fights because I would have died. So that's how I made it to be 36 years old. And so growing up, this was not like a, a thing where I would get in fights all the time. But at 4-H camp with my best friend Johnny Walls a long time ago, we actually got into a confrontation. Coming out of the lunchroom, just drank my camp you know, chocolate milk. We walked out in the front yard and we kind of stared each other down like two old cowboys at high noon, you know waiting for who was going to make the next move. And sure enough, these awkward kind of punches flew. We, we grabbed each other by the hands and we spun around. <laughs> That's how you do it. It's a tactic no one knows about. So we spun around with angry faces until eventually our hands slipped off. We hit the ground and we got up and nothing was hurt but our pride. And we went back to doing all the normal things at camp like swimming and archery and tetherball and all those kinds of things. But if I'm honest... The physical altercation that we got into in the front yard of that cafeteria, it started days before. Before we were ever swinging like physical fists, we had been verbally jabbing at each other for a long, long time. And the truth is, in the room this morning, a lot of the confrontations that we find ourselves in, they happened somewhere long before. There's something that's said, there's something that's done, there's an insinuation that happens, someone does something that causes the tensions to rise until eventually it spills over into some kind of confrontation. The New Testament, specifically, is not a stranger to this kind of concept. The danger that it is in the way that we use our language, almost every single New Testament book, every single New Testament letter mentions a need for Christians to be mindful of the way that we speak. And if this was something that was prevalent in the ancient Near East to the point where writers were writing about it then, we shouldn't be surprised this is something that we deal with in the church today. This is something that is common to us, and it's something that we want to bring up for the next three weeks so that we can be the healthiest kind of people we can be. You see, in the book of James, which bears the name of Jesus, his brother James, which I'm sure that was easy growing up, right? Jesus never says anything wrong, but James, you're always in trouble. James writes this book, 
And in this book, he is speaking oftentimes throughout it about language, about our words, about our tongue, about the things that we say. And he's writing all of it in light of what it's like to live in the shadow of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, he says in a huge chunk of his letter, it should change the way that we speak to one another. It should have an effect on us. Because the way we speak is a reflection of who we are as people. The things that we say are a window into our hearts. And so James says this in chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. He says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want it to go by means of a small bit in its mouth. And he's using this imagery to speak about language. He says, And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small part that makes great grand speeches or boasts, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is the flame of the fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by the fires of hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James uses this imagery, a bit in the mouth of a horse, a rudder on a ship, a spark that can fall in a forest and catch everything on fire. He says, all these are very small things, but they have a way of controlling whatever it is, a horse, a ship, or a, or a forest. He says, your tongue is the same thing. Though it's a small part of our body, it has a way of directing our life, has a way of controlling us. So James says, we have to be careful how we communicate. Then he says this in verse 8, that all of these animals and creatures have been contained and controlled within the world, but guess what has not been contained? The tongue, our language, our words. The way we communicate to one another, the things we text on social media, verbally, directly, or indirectly, these things have to be something that we do with intention to be able to control them. Because given to ourselves, we will always choose words that hurt. We will always choose words that cause some kind of pain. Just a few days ago, I was at Bilo, walking through the store, minding my own business, buying food for the house, and I came upon this mom who was there with two of her kids. And I'll be honest, the mom was outnumbered, as many moms are, right, in the, in the grocery store. I walked up, and this mom was outnumbered, and the, the kids were being a bit unruly. But as I came up on this whole scene, this mom bent down, grabbed this older boy by the arm, and began to say things to him that were so cutting. I mean, she dressed him down right there in the middle of Bilo before everybody said all these awful, awful mean things. I walked by, my heart was broken. You know why? More than anything, because I know I've said the same kinds of things. If I'm honest, I found myself trying to control in the same kind of way by saying just the right thing at just the right time. This is what this mom was doing, and it was cutting. It's heartbreaking. This scenario plays out in our lives in all kinds of different ways. Every relationship that we have, if we're not careful, we find ourselves damaging it with some kind of careless words. And James is speaking to this in chapter 3. And he's basically saying this, that our words can be weapons. Our words can be weapons if we're not careful. Now, I'm not a boxer. Okay? I've never really boxed. The past couple of weeks, I've been down to a boxing gym. And let's just say it was embarrassing. But I've learned a few things in those times down at the gym downtown. And it's this. If you're going to defeat an opponent... If you're going to beat somebody in boxing, you have to make sure that you choose the right punch at the right time in the right location. If you got that, you can win a fight. 
And what I found is, just like a boxer does this with their fists, we too, we do it with our words, don't we? And if I'm honest, as a husband, I know the right thing to say or the wrong thing to say at the right time with the right tone to land it in, with my wife to cause harm. And when I find myself backed into a corner, maybe I was wrong about something, maybe there's a disagreement of some kind, and if I want to make sure that I end things on my terms, the right thing, the right time, with the right tone, I can cause harm. And if I'm not careful, I will weaponize my words every single time. And again, every relationship, not just marriages, we do this all the time. The right word at the right time, land it in the right place, you can do a lot of damage. And we know this. But the problem is when we begin to weaponize our words, it becomes an arms race, doesn't it? We, we escalate just enough, someone else escalates even more. And when we do this, nobody wins. And James is saying you have to be careful, though it's small. It's a small piece of who you are. It can control everything. So James says, quit throwing shade. Quit, quit swinging. Quit fighting. Quit putting yourself in a better light while you cast shade on everybody else by the things that you say, the words that you use. James says these can be weapons. And then he goes on to say in verse 9 through 11, he writes this. Sometimes the tongue, our, our language, it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the very image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Some translations say fresh water and salt water can't come from the same spring. You know, on Sunday morning, we come here, we love to praise God. And we sing songs of praise, we raise our hands, and we even walk around, we're like, hey, you look nice today, it's great to see you, so glad you're here on a Sunday morning. We, we say these things. But then too often what happens is when, when it's all said and done, and we leave and try to beat everybody else to Mo's, on the way there, we, we start talking about the people that we were just sitting next to, about how that outfit was so unflattering, I can't believe she would wear that to church on a Sunday morning. Or we jump on social media and we post this nice, perfect picture of our Bible that's highlighted and underlined on this verse because apparently the person we sat next to didn't see it on Sunday morning because clearly they need to keep working on this. Or potentially we start talking about the preacher like he doesn't preach the Bible. He talks too fast like I've never heard that before. We have these ways of coming on a Sunday morning and, and saying blessings to people. And out of the same mouth... We leave, and all of a sudden, we're speaking curses towards people. James says, this can not be. You can't have salt water and fresh water come from the same spring. That's not how this works. James says, be careful the way you use your words. When you weaponize them, it causes pain. And he says, not only that, but be careful about the double standard. Don't come on a Sunday morning and praise God's creation and then leave and, and send curses the same way. The truth is our words hold power. And not just power for today, but power for years in the future. I talked to someone just this morning who says, you know what, my dad said something to me when I was young and I've never forgotten it. Even as an adult, I'm trying to prove him wrong. Words are powerful. They hold sway over us. And James says, be careful. Just last week, I had a chance to go sit down with 12 of our students from our 1010 Bridge program. And there were 12 of them, first grade through fifth grade. This was a setup. So I was invited to come and speak to them, and I, I was given an hour to teach them how to be a man. That should be plenty of time, right? 
So we sat down and had this conversation. I wanted to share these things with them. And it was, it was fun. It was great. But it's like watching a, a fourth grade t-ball game. Like an hour just seems so long. So I'm trying to get to the end and share these things. And it became very apparent kind of from the get-go. They weren't super interested in what I had to say, let alone learn how to tie a tie. And so I just kind of, I got these things. You are loved by God. You know, I made sure I, you know this. But what I noticed is in, in speaking with them, every kind of blessing that I tried to speak over them, they had had 100 probably or more curses spoken over them before. All the things I was trying to say positive about them, they they'd had all these negative comments come at them from home, from school, wherever it might be. And what I found is it's incredibly difficult to be able to speak blessing over folks who've heard curses their whole life. Because those curses, I mean, am, am I right? You could hear 20 great things about you. You're wonderful, you're beautiful, you're fun, you're so great, you're so talented. And you hear one person say something negative, which one do you remember? The negative one, every single time our words hold power. James says you can't have blessing and curses come from the same mouth. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at, next week specifically, where do these things come from? Like, why do we do this? Why do we find ourselves saying these things about people that were created in the image of God? And then in the third week, we're gonna come back and talk again about what happens when people are throwing shade at us, when they're saying things towards us, directly or, or indirectly. How do we handle that? But today, I thought it'd be helpful for us to identify some of the punches that we often see in our life and the lives around us. And the first one is this. It's the sucker punch. This is gossip. The sucker punch is the punch that you never see coming. The sucker punch is the one that catches you off guard every single time. You can't defend yourself because you never see it until it's too late and you're hit. It's a cheap shot. It's a coward move. This punch is when we engage with gossip about people to people. And the book of Proverbs has a large portion of that book dedicated to this whole conversation about our tongue and our language and, and taming the tongue. It's a, it's a major topic of conversation in the book of Proverbs. It's so practical. And in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 20 through 22, it says this about gossip, the sucker punch. It says, fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easy as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink down into one's heart. I've never said the word dainty, so you know I mean it. They're dainty morsels that go down to our innermost being, the Bible says. The writer here in Proverbs is saying this, this information that we love to share with other people about other people, too often it's not helpful, it's harmful. It's not helping anything, it's actually harming people. Instead of, instead of putting people in better light, we try to put them in a worse light so that we can lift ourselves up. We're not speaking blessings about them, we're speaking curses about them, all the while without them knowing. Someone once said that if you're not a part of the problem or a part of the solution, then you're just simply gossiping. You're engaging in the sucker punch. And gossip is fuel for the fire. If you've ever had a fire in your backyard, you've gone camping or something, you have to keep feeding that fire with wood, right? Otherwise, what happens? Goes out. You have to keep feeding it with sticks and more and more wood to keep that fire going. That's the fuel for the fire. But the problem is, Proverbs points out, when it comes to a quarrel or a fight, gossip is the fuel for the fire. And if you keep feeding it, keep feeding it, keep feeding it, it'll keep the fight going. But just as a fire without wood goes out, the Bible says, without gossip, 
the fight in the ring, it dissipates as well. And we try to, we try to disguise this kind of sucker punch in all kinds of ways, like it's a prayer request, right? I have a prayer request about this person, and I'm just, I just want to share it. You know, don't tell anybody else. It's personal. Or we try to disguise it like genuine concern, like I'm just, I'm just, I'm just worried about this person, and we, we give all this information. And the problem is, more often than not, we're not trying to help anything. If we're honest, it just feels good to talk about somebody else. It feels good because it's deflecting from our own issues, our own stuff. If we can push them down, we can lift ourselves up. If we can throw a shade on them, we can put ourselves in a better kind of light. And when we do this, we come across as people who feel like gossip is something that just feels good. And I felt it in me too. I've sensed it before where I'm having this conversation. We slide into this thing and I'm like, man, you're right. Yeah, you are right. And all of a sudden it begins to ramp up and the fire grows and it grows and it grows. Verse 22 of Proverbs 26 said this way, gossip is like a dainty morsel. Some versions say a choice morsel going down to the inmost parts. It just tastes good. It just feels good. Have you ever eaten one McDonald's fry? No, because you've eaten 117 McDonald's fries. Am I right? Because once you eat one, you're like, oh, it's kind of good. Can I have just like 12 more? And then before you know it, you just more and more and one after the other. And you just can't. You find one like four weeks later in the car. You're still like, "Mm," and you eat it. (laughs) They're just that good. And they don't change. They're the same thing every single day. And the reason is this. It's like M&Ms. It's like like, uh, Sour Patch Kids. It's like zebra cakes. You, You just can't stop. It's a choice morsel going down to the inner. It, it tastes good. And if we're honest, this is what gossip does. Once we start, it's really difficult to stop. Once we start talking about someone else, it's difficult to pull it back. Because we want to hear just one more reaction. We want to tell one more story. We want to hear one more piece of information. It's the sucker punch. It's the thing that you can't defend because you never know when it's coming. And it's gossip. The second punch is the below the belt. You know, in boxing, there seems to be like this gentleman's agreement. Like when you're boxing, there are certain places you do not hit each other. It's below the belt. You don't do that. That's not appropriate when it comes to boxing. The below the belt punch is the unfair criticism that we oftentimes throw at one another. Now, I want to be honest with you. There are times for criticism because sometimes we are doing things that aren't smart. We're doing things that that are not wise. And so criticism is warranted. And let's be honest, we have a lot of growing to, don't we? So sometimes we need somebody to step into our life and be like, you're being a moron, you need to stop. Let's change this, let's grow in some kind of way, let God do some work in your life. But a lot of times, the criticism that we get is unwarranted. Sometimes that criticism, it's just unfair, and it's not helpful. This is below the belt. When we give criticism, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. Number one, is this critique necessary? Number two, is this meant to help in some kind of way? Or is it meant to crush? Is, what's my motive behind sharing this thing? What's my motive behind saying this? Am I, am I, am I just relishing in, in them squirming because I've brought this thing up? Jesus speaks to it directly in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And here's what he says. He says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. It's a lot of words, right? 
He says this, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log sticking out of your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, Jesus says. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll be able to see and deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, when we start reading this passage about judgment, many of us in the room are like, oh, see, I told you as a Christian, you shouldn't judge. I told you, keep your critique to yourself. We should not judge. This is not what Jesus is saying, though. Jesus' concern is not with judgment necessarily. His concern is with those people who are looking around for someone else with a speck in their eye so they can go and point it out, all the while with a log sticking out of their own. I mean, take the visual for a second. Jesus is trying to say something that's shocking here. Can you imagine somebody walking up and be like, hey, you got a little speck in your eye. Meanwhile, there's this big thing sticking out of my own. Part of the expectation of being a Christian in relationships, and kingdom relationships, is that we would help one another grow and become healthy, but not before we look in the mirror and look at ourselves and say, what is God trying to do in me first? Jesus says, if you can get that log out of your own eye, then, and then only, are you able to help someone else with a speck in their eye. This unfair criticism sometimes, what I've found in my life, I do this because it deflects from my own stuff. I criticize because oftentimes it's the very thing that bugs me about myself. Think about social media just for a second. It's like our favorite place to go criticize. And what we do oftentimes, we craft these perfect remarks. We want people to understand the mistakes they're making and living their life versus how we live our life. And so we make sure we parade all this around. Like, you don't know how to parent, and let me tell you why. You're not Republican enough. You're not, you're not a Democrat enough. You're not funny enough. You're not creative enough. You're not educated enough. You're not real enough, and on and on and on. And we find ourselves, this is a really easy place to throw critique. And when I do it, if I'm honest, I do it because the thing that bugs me about that person, more than likely I see it in my own life first. But it's easy to point it out in them instead of me dealing with it on my own. Look at that speck. All the while I've got a log sticking out of my own eye. This below the belt, this unwarranted criticism, it ends up not being helpful. What it ends up being is, is harmful. So before we start pointing out all these other things in other people's lives, let's look in the mirror for ourselves and say, God, would you reveal to me the places that you're longing to work first, that I might become healthy and become helpful for people around me? Number three, it's the quick jab. This one's sarcasm. Some of y'all are super familiar with this. Sarcasm, it's the quick jab. I found out in boxing that the quick jab is never meant to be like a knockout punch. The quick jab instead is meant to be this punch that doesn't have a lot of power behind it. Now, I'll be honest with you, learning downtown with this guy who's like a boxer, and he's like, listen, here's the quick jab, not a lot of power. I'm like, please? Yes, there is. I don't know what you guys call this, but this is, this is, this is boxing. But the quick jab is never meant to be like the, the end it all, the quit the fight kind of punch. This punch is just meant to be landed enough on your opponent that eventually you wear them down. It's a quick jab. We do this a lot of times in all kinds of relationships. Where I've seen this more than anything is when it comes to our relationships and our marriages. The, the Greek word for this word sarcasm actually means literally to tear flesh. To tear flesh. This is because this, this way, this quick jab, this sarcasm, it's a way of cutting just a little bit by little bit by little bit. You know, some of us in our marriages, I've known some people who've been married for many, many years. And there's some wives who have heard from their husband all kinds of negative, sarcastic remarks for years. 
about the way they look, about, about their jobs, about how they parent, about on and on and on and on. And it's not just one of those punches. I mean, you can deal with one or two or three. It's when it goes on for years, these quick jabs, this sarcastic remark, this, this snide remark over and over and over again. Eventually, it, it takes its toll. And I know husbands in marriages in the same kind of way whose wives just love to nag, who love to do that quick little jab, say that little thing about how much he works, about how little time he spends with the family. And you just jab enough, and eventually what you find is when those little things happen over and over and over, the life just gets sucked out of you. This quick jab is something that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, he's comparing our life before Christ to our life now after Christ. He's like, listen, you used to be like this, but you don't do this anymore because now you've, you've experienced the risen Christ and it's changed everything. And Paul's like going through all these scenarios and eventually in chapter 4, verse 29, here's what he says. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Maybe in your translation of your Bible, it says unwholesome talk. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So they might be an encouragement to those who hear them. Paul says this word unwholesome is actually the Greek word sapros. It means rotten, ill-fitting, or worthless. So Paul says all these words that you're saying this word is oftentimes used in talking about produce or fruit when it gets rotten and nasty. Paul says, these words that you're using, they're nasty, they're rotten, they're awful, and they're ill-fitting. Given the context of the whole, the whole chapter of chapter 4, Paul's saying, maybe before you knew Christ, this is the way you used to talk. Like, this was appropriate before you knew Jesus, but now, now that you know Jesus, it's not appropriate anymore. This sarcasm used to be funny. It used to be this, but guess what? It's only funny to the one who's saying it, not the one who's receiving it. And so this used to be appropriate, but no longer, because now it's ill-fitting, because you're a follower of Jesus now. And so the things you say now are different from the things that you used to say. If you're going to come into these kingdom relationships, sarcasm, the tearing of flesh, the quick jabs, they're not appropriate for communicating with one another anymore. Verse 29, he says, instead... Speak words that build one another up. that are a benefit to those who listen. And the last punch is a punch that a lot of us are familiar with. It's the knockout punch. This punch comes from deep within us. This punch is a punch that's fueled by anger. The knockout punch is not really concerned with trying to keep the fight going, but instead the knockout punch is meant for only one thing, and that's to take your opponent out. There's no concern about collateral damage, no concern about bridges that are burned. It's the most dangerous of all punches because in the end, someone almost always gets hurt. If you think back to your most painful memories of relationships, I would imagine that likely a lot of them have to do with anger being involved. And so again, the book of James speaks to this in chapter one, verse 19, when James says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Look at, look at all the things James puts together here. Listen, speak with your words, and don't do it in anger. The most difficult part about anger for us is the most primitive of emotions that we have, and so oftentimes it's just reactionary. So something happens, we don't think about it. 
We don't take all the different sides into consideration. We don't think about what long-term effect this could have. We don't practice restraint. Instead, we just, we just spout off out of anger. Someone said once, I was told it was actually Judge Judy, how about that, that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We, we should listen more than we speak. So the Bible says, be quick to listen. Most of us never listen to anybody else when we get into some kind of confrontation. We're just waiting for our turn to throw the next punch. We're not listening to what someone is actually saying. So someone comes to us and tries to bring this thing to us like, listen, quit talking. Let me tell you about the things you've done wrong. And out of anger, it wells up. Be, be quick to listen. Then he says, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. If you're anything like me, you get these emails every once in a while. When I first started doing middle school ministry here, I would get emails from well-meaning parents occasionally, but it would make me so angry. I'm like this 20-year-old kid in my office, like, oh yeah, let me tell you. So I'd start like banging on my keyboard and writing all these things back like right away. Like, you don't understand what it's like to minister to all these children, like saying all this stuff. If I were to slow myself down just enough and look at what I've just written, sometimes there was like four different ones. I'd delete one, I'd be like, do it again, I'd delete that one, I'd do it again. If you work anywhere, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Someone writes you this email, and, and it's like clearly pointed at you, but it's like to everybody, and you're like, okay, take this buddy, and you're like banging on the keyboard. And if we were to slow down for just a moment, to be slow to speak, how many in the room would recognize that if I were to sleep on this just for one night, my response to this would be so different than what's happening within me right now out of anger. We used to, I used to work with a guy named Wade Joy here at the church, and he was on staff doing high school, and I was doing middle school, kind of right out of college. And I'll never forget, I learned so many helpful things from him, but the thing I learned more than anything, he used to tell me all the time, Trevor, not everything is a fight. Not everything is a fight. Because I was wanting to fight everybody. I knew everything about ministry. Nobody knew anything. Anything the leadership said of the church was like, you don't have a clue, bro. I just got a CIU and I want to talk about. So I was like, spout off all the time. He would say, listen, it's not always a fight. This is not worth the fight. You don't have to be angry about this. And it took me a long time of watching him and the way he interacted with people to come to realize that even when things really ground his gears like it would mine, he wouldn't respond the way I would. He was slow to anger, quick to listen. He was slow to speak. That sounds really easy for James to say, right? Be slow to anger. Just don't get angry. Here's the truth. That's hard because you can't do it on your own. That's the point. None of these things that God is calling and asking us to do are things that we can muster up in our own strength. This has to be the work of the Spirit of God within us. So many people are like, listen, you don't understand. It's just my personality. I'm just fiery. Like I'm from New York or whatever. I'm like, what? No, no, no. You don't get a license to be a jerk just because you think that's who you are. As someone who is a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes in us and begins to transform us, make us something new, helps us to control our words, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now these different punches that we've talked about, these four different ones, they've done a lot of damage to families that are represented here this morning. These four punches have done a lot of damage when it comes to friendships here that are represented this morning. Your workplace has probably been ravaged by them over and over and over again. But they don't have to continue that way. It doesn't have to stay like that. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is telling this story about these people who are coming to worship, to take part in this offering and this worship. 
And as they're walking in, Jesus says they, they begin to realize that a brother or a sister has something against them. And Jesus says, if you notice that, lay your offering down. Go, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and make your offering. Participate in worship once you've made that relationship right. You know why? Because our relationship with God is directly correlated, connected to our relationship with people. How we treat God's creation is a reflection of how we feel about the creator. How we speak about other people is a reflection about how we feel about God. And even this morning, we're gonna take part and participate in one of the most beautiful forms of worship within the church, a sacred moment of communion. This binds us together. We believe as a church, we are better together. And so because of that, as we come, we remember that we are one body with one Lord, one baptism. We partake of, of one flesh, one blood together as a church, and it binds us together. And so maybe this morning, as we come and partake in this sacred moment, maybe God would, would quicken your heart to recognize and realize there's this relationship, and, and God wants to reconcile it. Maybe today, today, you need to come and leave this place and, and send that text, write that letter, make that phone call. Maybe some husbands in the room need to go buy some flowers and bring it to your wife and say, listen, here are some blessings that I want to speak over you. I'm tired of speaking curses. Maybe some of us in the room, we need to take our kids to dinner and sit down with them and say, listen, here's how I really feel about you. Here's how wonderful you are. Here's how loved you are. And some kids in this room, you need to hear it from your parents and let them say it and care about it. Because our relationships with one another are directly connected to our relationship with the Father. So in this moment, as we come and partake in this beautiful worship, let God speak to you, do something in you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great mercy your grace. I'm thankful, God, that you've never given up on us, God, but you have a desire for the way that we would live with one another in this kingdom relationship. And you've stopped at nothing to make it possible, specifically by sending your son Jesus to live his life, to be crucified, and to rise from the dead that we might experience new life as well. So God, this morning as we come and partake in this communion, this broken body, this shed blood, may you remind us of what you can do in us if we but allow you to. Make us people, God, who are no longer throwing shade but instead speaking things that are a benefit to those who would hear. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.